Hello, before we kick off today's episode, I just wanted to remind you that if you sign up to a year of the Freelance Heroes Portal, a place designed to give freelancers greater presence and support, not only will you get 12 months for the price of 10, but you'll also get a free ticket for this year's Freelance Heroes Day and other events too. All you need to do is visit freelance-heroes.com. Right, on with the show. Welcome to the Freelance Heroes podcast. Ed Goodman here. Delighted you could join me once again. And I don't know exactly the answer to this, but I wonder how many freelancers spend an efficient amount of time analysing their performance beyond the PL and bank balance uh, to help them make the right decisions to grow their business. And what information should we know and how do we go about it? The idea of saying, let's just grab some data to make the right decision can be, for many, quite daunting. So let's start to break that down now and let's get some ideas of how we can find the right data to help us make the right choices to take our freelance business in the right direction. And to help us is York-based content marketer, Katie Thompson. Let's meet Katie. So uh, this is exciting because we're about to enter a world I don't normally go into because I don't normally, I don't, it's not, um, I don't know enough about it, but we're going to get our geek on uh, in this episode. um, And this excites me greatly um, because you've been working, I'll let you tell the story in more detail in a moment, but employing kind of data visualization to help you with your freelance business and to help it grow. And I want to see how we can use this to help others too. But because people haven't tuned in to listen to my voice as much as they have yours, introduce yourself, Katie. Hello, I am Katie Thompson and I run Katie Lingo. Um, strictly speaking, it's just me as freelancer, but um, as you were talking about data, it's also my partner, Craig, who does all the geeky stuff. But I will try in his absence um, to take that geek mantle um no marvel stuff though please i don't know anything about it oh no no no! i'm out i'm out on that batman batman isn't a superhero i mean you do, it's just proof that you know just you just need guy, money and you'll be fine yeah. exactly it's just a rich guy with toys um anyway um so the so talk us through firstly just kind of summarize your freelancing journey just so that we can understand <laughs> before we get to the data side of things where this has all played its part. So how long have you been uh, a content marketer for? Um, well, as a standalone brand, Katie Lingo, um, since about September 2016. Um, and to be honest, I didn't really envision being where I am today because it, it started out as a side hustle when I had a full-time job, and um, as I'm sure many people do as well. And... Um, you know, it was, it was I, I'd completed a course in journalism. I wanted to do a little bit more writing work. So I was doing it on the side just to get some pocket money and uh, it grew and grew. Um, and I've now, I think post pandemic, you know, and being sort of grown up and going limited and doing all that sort of stuff, you really start to actually analyze what you're doing as a business and accept it's not just a hobby. It's it's a way of living now. So, um, yeah, it's it's been quite a journey since 2016 when I knew nothing, which is quite cringy, but there we are. 
<laughs> but a bit, but you make a really interesting point then about the fact that you've been a content marketer as a freelancer for yeah. four years, but actually, obviously, you've got considerable experience before that. Because I remember yeah. reading an article you wrote about the, the the kind of definition of freelancing, and and yeah. so often, and I, I have been talking a lot lately about the image of freelancing, and I feel I feel it often comes within the freelance community and the number of people who say I'm just a freelancer or I've got two years freelance experience but as you highlighted then actually the freelancing bit all the Mm. other bits and pieces that we do for a business only represent a part of the story. Absolutely yeah and you know prior to that I was um, I was at a digital agency and what I have a background of digital agencies and sort of newsroom magazines and things so um, yeah I, I it's something I'm quite passionate about. It, it drives me nuts when people say you're just a freelancer. And it all sort of stems from a podcast I did last year when someone said to me, well, the image of a freelancer is just someone sat in their back bedroom, you know. And I was like, oh, you know, I laughed all the time. But <laughs> it, as you rightly say, you're not just a freelancer. This is your living and you're good at what you do. So, you know, stick it to them. <laughs> and, and that's a bit, a bit and, you know there's two sides of it of course is that some yeah. people say you know you're just a freelancer because you know you're just working for it. and the amount of times i've said oh the pandemic hasn't affected me too much because i work from home anyway and they're yeah. like oh you've got it easy then well no no <laughs> it's, it's not quite as easy as that but again mm. there's two sides there's the way that we describe ourselves too yeah. now I, I just want to deal with that as we're on the topic because you mm. asked the question in an article you wrote ahead of National Freelancing Freelancers Day last year, which is mm-hmm. about deciding on the term freelance itself, whether it was effective in communicating what we do, whether it had become a pejorative term. Where's your yeah. where's your kind of relationship with the term freelancer? It, it's a tricky one. Um, I mean. Before becoming freelance, I wasn't even that familiar with it. When I started out, actually, I remember that one of the first things I did after uni was go on this course um, for sort of, sort of budding journalists. And this guy said to me, I think you should go freelance. And I was like, what? So I'll have to go out and find my own work. You know, that didn't even compute. So um, back then, I probably saw that as a negative thing. But now I realise it's all the positives, because when you are a freelancer, you're not just um, what we call a technician which I'll come to in a bit, <laughs> you're not just doing, um, you know, the service you provide, but you are doing all the marketing, the sales and accounting and all sort of stuff as well. So you're you're an entrepreneur, I suppose. Um, you know, you are running a business. Um, so people need to get this idea out of their heads that all you do is work from home or go to coffee shops and do nothing. You're probably working a lot more hours than the standard nine to five. So, um, so and do you feel the word, I mean, do you feel the term has changed since you started? I mean, you said yourself you weren't even familiar with the term as such, but then obviously you became familiar. So would you say yeah. the term has, has cha- I mean, I, I'm also keen to know what prompted you to write the article itself about whether you felt that it was used or, or used so often in a negative sense. Um, what was the first part saying on that? What prompted it? And So how, how much has it changed in your opinion? Since? Right, sorry, yes. So I think I have a habit of asking two questions in one. I don't no, know why no, no. I really got to stop doing it. <laughs> um, I think the last 12 months or 18 months or when the bloody pandemic started have been so pivotal for freelancers. Thank God we're finally on the map. We're not just, oh, I just did it, you know, got some freelancer to do it. We're actually, um, you know, I think we're so much 
more appreciated now. I'm, I'm sure we were before, but you know what I mean? That everyone is starting up their own side hustle now or, or quitting their jobs and doing their own thing because um, they realize that they don't want to be pushed around anymore or they don't want to be constrained by the holidays or bureaucracy or whatever. Um, and I think, yeah, the, the nation is finally waking up and seeing the value of freelancers, um, particularly in the digital sphere. Um, I don't know if this has been the same for you, but for me, agencies, particularly e-commerce or anything digital, have got so much busier. And as a result, they're really relying on freelancers. So thank God um, that you know, the UK freelance market has grown so much. I, th I think something like it grew by 30% in 2020 or something. There are the, all these stats. They're in my blog. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put them out, but, um, yeah, um, and in terms of um, why I wrote the blog, again, um, that podcast cheesed me off a little bit. But then I had another webinar with the same guy. He's, he's a great friend, so don't get me wrong. Hi, Nick. Um, he, again, I was on a webinar with him and another guy who had his own business, and they were always going, You've got to appear bigger than you are. You've got to call yourself an agency. And it's like, Why? Why do I need to do that? What's wrong with being just little old me? Hmm? Well, not just yes. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I was about to correct you, but that's okay. I'll, uh, but you're right. I mean, no, because we need to. We do. I think it's habitual that we say we describe ourselves in uh, a kind of a modest sense, and, mm. and that's okay. We are who we are, but we need to kind yeah. of step away from that to help kind of take that term further. Still, I mean, you yourself have you got? If let's say in the context of this question, when I mention agency, I talk about having a team of people that you employ and that you're growing in that sense so have you have you got ideas given that you weren't even expected to be here by your own admission but have you got ideas to to just remain as a, a freelancer for it to just be you and craig for um to, to to grow a bigger agency i mean as it stands what's your goal it's it's a tricky one again because i need to get out of that side hustle mindset um and I think, if anything, the pandemic has almost put me off in a way because it made you realise just how futile having an office is and, you know, how so much of it is just vanity. Oh, look, we've got a conference room. We have a ping pong table. And it's like, well, is that just throwing money down the drain? Um, and honestly, I don't want to become just another agency because, if anything, for me, that's more a pejorative term. No disrespect to agencies. got a huge amount of respect for them. But they are my clients so i'd actually be competing with them why, why would i do that <laughs> alienate my my clients so um i would sooner be um or craig and i would sooner be an asset to agencies someone to whom they can outsource the work and somebody they can trust um but by all means if we get too busy perhaps outsource our own freelancers sort of thing but no i wouldn't want to build a big agency with a big fancy office just just cause because I don't, I don't want to be another one, you know? No, fair enough. And nor do you have to decide that on this call anyway. There's a, no. I, know, I came across, I can't remember. I need to find out who it is. And I I, I won't mention them on podcast um, anyway, because that's unfair, despite the fact that their strapline really grates on me. So they're a community of freelancers. Um, mm -hmm. And they market, and, and the idea being is that they source work and then distribute it to the freelancers on their books as a team effort, as a collaborative, but they pitch themselves as agency work at freelancer prices, which just, I mean, everything about that sentence grates me because freelancing, I mean, you mentioned this in your, your blog last year that we think about freelancers as is your specialist. And for me, it's like, not only are you just a specialist in what you do, 
Um, but also you come with a wealth of experience for the agencies and other businesses that you've worked with. So yeah. you can help me as a bigger business improve my processes, improve my relationships with clients, improve mm. the way I work in a yeah. way that that maybe can't happen quite so clearly when you employ someone in who's only worked with one, two or three businesses historically. So yeah. there's so much more to it than that as well. And I think we need to get that message across as well. Should we start a campaign? Yes, let's do it. I think you've got like some it. events happening in a couple of weeks. I'm not sure. Really <laughs> well, well, it's funny you should say that. I do. Freelance Heroes Day. As uh, if anyone uh, missed that, then go back to the first 30 odd seconds at the start of this podcast and you'll hear all about it um, and uh, uh, later too. But um so let's go on to the geekiness because this is the bit that uh, I'm, I'm really quite looking forward to getting stuck into. You um, you, you say yourself that, that Craig is, is you're a team uh, personally and professionally, um, mm-hmm. and he's added some data visualization to, to the service that you're offering as well. And this mm-hmm. stems from your own. It almost feels like epiphany when you read the e-myth. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. uh, a fair way of putting it, but what mm. did it realize what did it make you realize about the importance of embracing data in a way that we hadn't before let's get let's get going on this roll our sleeves up and let's understand how data can help us grow okay i think data in itself is quite a scary word um, people find it quite daunting because they throw it in there with ai and machine learning and all these sort of industry for what those scary tech words so it's either scary or it's boring. Mm, something about data, move on if you don't understand it. But it needn't be that way. It doesn't have to be ridiculously techy. You know, data is an all encompassing term. It could be data in terms of um, how many clients you're getting, the revenue you're getting. You know, you can make it applicable to you. It doesn't always need to be um, very scary, like something out of Terminator. So um, getting Craig on board it sort of happened by accident, you know, by virtue of the pandemic. And he was quite used to playing around with um, this data visualization software called Tableau. And um, he was just sort of saying, you know, I'm twiddling, he's not twiddling his thumbs, but he's saying, um, you're really struggling here. So anyway, I can help you save time. Let's look at um, how much time you're spending doing this or on this client or, you know, you're wasting doing um, laborious tasks that you don't need to be doing. So he started drawing stuff up and then I realized actually we could extrapolate this and we could use this um, for so many different things. And um, another thing about data is, you know, if you work with an agency or anything, you get all these reports each month and it's just a load of numbers, there's loads of spreadsheets. It means nothing. So what we want to do is actually make it really clear, lovely visual that doesn't just have the graphics and stuff, but actually has meaning has context and can give you um you know a plan of action as a result of it okay you did well here what should i do in the future sort of thing so we like to think that's our usp i suppose so you've obviously applied this to your own business as well mm. what did it teach you that maybe you didn't already know about how efficient you are at running the business in general i think um what it really did is you know when you are just a freelancer um <clears throat> you're very emotionally involved with your um, my voice is going <laughs> i just do joan rivers for the rest of this um you <laughs> i mean to the same level of comedy i don't know we'll see <laughs> oh god she's dead i can't take the she's dead <laughs> kathleen turner i'll do her jessica okay. rabbit yeah is it jessica rabbit i've gone off tangent 
Christ, what was I saying? <laughs> so how I'm did how, how did um, free? I'd like to think that people are just listening to the podcast, randomly walking with other people, and just bringing have a smile to their face. It's nice. So <laughs> what when you employed uh, kind of Craig's skills and yeah. analyzed used this data to analyze your own efficiency? Yes. How how did it? Yeah, what nice. did you unearth that you weren't yeah. aware of? Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So, yes, you have this kind of emotional attachment. Um, for example, like one of my clients is uh, a charity, a cancer charity, a local one, very close to my heart. Um, and, you know, in your head, I don't want to say you have favourites, but you're like, oh, such and such has gone touch me today. And you, you have that emotional attachment. And you, you think in your head, however much money you're making for them or time you're spending, they have a value, whatever your definition of value is. However, what that looks like on paper might be very different. So you might think you're getting loads of money or, or loads of value or whatever from this client, but actually it might be that they're taking up a lot of your time um, and it could be spent better elsewhere or whatever. Or it could be, oh, actually, that, that um, client or the task you're doing that doesn't seem that rewarding is actually um, a lot more rewarding than you think. But it's a case of actually getting all the figures out in front of you. Um, and not just with spreadsheets, but using things like bar graphs and stuff. Um, and it just really changes your perspective. Um, and just, it makes you sort of reassess your priorities, I guess. Like, oh, actually, you know, there is a lot more value doing that in doing this, or I'm wasting time here sort of thing. So, uh, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and this is just more than just wasting our time on um, well, yeah, uh, yeah. procrastination. This is actually about making sure that we're focusing on the right clients, et cetera. And that's quite a brave thing to do in a world where there's increased freelancers and there increased competition. Mm. Very often freelancers find it difficult to say no, unless there's a moral clash, for example. Yeah. But we don't necessarily find it that easy to say no. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yet, what what we're, what you're talking about here is is actually embracing the data to a point where we say, right, well, actually, I value you more as a client than I do you, and I'm going to behave as differently with that client as a result. Maybe even to the point where we're just going to sack off some of those clients. So, um, one of those is the the, the kind of the uh, value frequency matrix that you talk about as well. So. I mean, that's a brave step in itself, isn't it? Yeah. These are your words, not mine. I'm not sucking anyone. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I think you've got to be really uh, diplomatic in it. I, I've written this, this blog post about it. And um, one of the things I do say is sometimes it's a case of uh, head and heart. So in the in the post, um, Craig's got this matrix. It may have already been invented. I'm not sure. But it's basically, it sounds really brutal and cutthroat, but it's not. It's sort of value and frequency high and low sort of thing you know how you've got like your cash cow and your problem child and your star and your dog that i think they're called the boston matrix business studies a level it's a similar kind of thing so it's a way of sort of categorizing your clients and that doesn't mean that any one client is more important than the other and again value doesn't have to be revenue or whatever it could be anything it could be that it's rewarding or it could be you value them because um they pay on time or you know they treat you really well they're it depends what your definition of value is. So by looking at that, you can sort of categorize clients. Okay, there might be people who um, are quite uh, regular, but um, they may not have as big a budget or they may be a little bit harder work than another client sort of thing. Um, and once you kind of can categorize people into these four groups, you can sort of plan how you're going to sort out your workload um, in the long term. Okay. 
um, if there is someone who is very high value, but you know their work doesn't come in very often, um, how can I make sure that I'm nurturing that? How can I spot the pattern sort of thing and um, make sure it, it supports my business in the long term? You see what I mean? So it's, it's taking that and extrapolating it long term for good efficiency. No, and it's you know it's interesting to to use that to be able to then decide where you're going to go. And I don't think we do this mm. enough. Um, yeah. And I like that you know there's the the high value and high frequency seems to be um the most important element of it but i just have one caveat that springs to mind because low frequency and high value means that we need to because ideally we don't want to put all our eggs into one basket we don't no. want to have one client that produces the highest value and if we have one that is of high value and high frequency then actually there's only so much capacity we have to take on those clients whereas yeah. low frequency and high value if we can find a number of those, then we're spreading our workload, spreading the responsibilities. If one of those clients decides to move on from us, we're not as impacted than if it was a high value, high frequency. Yeah. Is there is there a, an area within the matrix we should be specifically aiming for, in your opinion, or is that you know where you're aiming for? I guess, like you say, perhaps it should be the um, low frequency but high value ones you like to say having a nice spread but equally I don't think you should discount the um, high frequency but perhaps lower value clients and Craig has said this to me before um, you know it's very easy to get peed off with someone because uh, a brief's been amended 10 times and it's like oh they're not even worth that much money or whatever but they might be um, I think in the blog I call them like old faithful because you know they're sort of keeping you afloat or whatever and this sounds really bad I wouldn't speak about any of my clients pejoratively but um it's a case of keeping you know, a steady stream of the old faithfuls with mm. you know the high and low value sort of thing um yeah like I say not having all your eggs in one basket um I think it's I mean the, the thing that stands out from that is exactly that square because we often yeah. hear that it's easier to increase our income from existing clients than it is to find mm. new clients so if we're getting low um low value from them then can we upsell them with a relationship that we already have yeah but again it's taking the data that you've analyzed and using it to plan how we're going to proceed because ultimately when we are a freelancer we're in a company of one there's only so much time that we have yeah. and especially when we're in a situation where many are charging per hour as opposed to per project which i guess mm. would change this too actually i'm now thinking aloud but do you charge per hour or per project what's your preferred style or is it I've, both? I've kind of moved away from that now if somebody asks for it perhaps but i think you know um getting to know you and being part of uh, organizations like freelance heroes or pro copywriters or whatever um it's it doesn't feel right um you know they always say you should charge based on value rather than a specific price sort of thing um and a set hourly rate it, it just doesn't account for so many different variables um you know it, it could take you ages to do something that might not look like it's yielded much of a result sort of thing so they might feel like they're getting short change so it's better to charge per project um, but yeah good point about yeah the hour thing the i like it woman after my own heart as well because just because it might take you longer to do something doesn't necessarily mean you're any worse or better at it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so 
what I'm trying to think is that I think that the, the, one of the things that stood out from the article, which we'll put um, a link um, to in the, the show notes as well to, to the article for people to read it, but there's, um, is that there'll be a number of freelancers who read this and go, right, I need to be better at analysing what I do and how I do it and mm-hmm. then be able to use that to help me plan the next stage of my business and to grow my business. Yeah. So we've talked about the value frequency matrix, first of all, and that's, mm-hmm. I think, a really powerful place to start. But what else can we learn about ourselves that can yeah. help us to grow our business? Um, another thing we looked, I think I put it on Twitter a couple of days ago, um, was sort of seasonality. So just looking strictly at revenue, not value or anything, just, OK, how much money or, or how many assignments or whatever I got um, over each month and um, we actually identified quite um, a consistent pattern over the past four years and um, created together this bar graph um, of these peaks and troughs and it said historically for some reason May has always been my worst month. Don't know why it doesn't seem to make sense to me because you know it's a new financial year and I don't know maybe it's because the sun is shining who's to say um, <clears throat> but you could Think, oh no, that's, that's really negative. And you can think, no, use this time to um, market your own business and, and plan for sort of long-term stuff. Um, and equally, if you are really, really busy in Q4 or something, should you perhaps be scaling back a little bit and trying to make you know, this pattern a little more even? It's up to you. That's a personal choice. Um, and another thing we looked at as well was uh, lead generation. There's there's a blog, um, I think from that sort of September last year. Um, at all, we use um, Harpoon as our sort of CRM. And whenever you add a new client, it tells you, okay, well, where did they come from? Did they come from LinkedIn? Did they come from networking? Da, da, da. And we looked at how we acquired new clients over the last four years. And we realized that referrals have gone up, whereas obviously physical networking with Corona has gone down sort of thing. So again, you think, actually, am I wasting loads of money going to these networking events? Would it be better spent on LinkedIn or something like that? So. It's a really good way of just looking at what you've got, extrapolating it um, for the future so that you can um, plan your budgets appropriately and your time. Now, this is um, what I quite like is that this has been born out of your AGM that you have with Craig, your second uh, in the last six months, uh, (laughs) as you as you point out. Um, So. (laughs) So obviously, you know, there is that idea that as restrictions are easing, that there is you know optimistically a floodgate but you know mm. i think more realistically an upturn in uh in, in in business so is this starting to shape then your plans for the coming months uh, as we kind of move out of the, the the kind of lockdown situation we're in i think so and uh, i'd be lying if i said i'm not a little bit concerned in general i don't want to say I've profited from the pandemic, but let's be realistic here. I think anyone who works in anything digital has probably actually um, done better, perhaps, than they may have done before. It sounds horrible saying out loud. Um, but <laughs> does that mean I want the world to carry on being in a pandemic? Absolutely not. No way. What we should be doing now is looking at the new clients and the new relationships we've been building over the past year and nurturing them and making sure that we're having that constant stream not putting our eggs in one basket so that we can continue this success long term rather than just assuming great well the pubs are open no one wants to work for me anymore it's it's so true so um you mentioned something very briefly earlier which i want to address that is the difference between 
in freelancing as to whether we're technicians or whether we're entrepreneurs or yeah. whether we're managers. Now, you mentioned that most freelancers are technicians. What do you mean by that, first of all? And then we can address the other two elements. Yeah, so um, this is not my idea. This is all from this book, The e mm. published in 1986, uh, revised for the internet age. Um, so it, it basically says, you know, the reason a lot of us go freelance is because we have a skill, uh, we enjoy it, and we realise actually we want to put money in our own pockets rather than our bosses and fund another yacht for them, or whatever, <laughs> um, which is fine. And as you're starting out, that's great because you know you know what you can do, and you might make a contact and start selling to them. Da, da, da. But as you start to grow. Um, you have to acquire these skills of selling, of marketing and accounting, all this sort of stuff, which you've never done before because you are a technician. Your skill set is in the service you provide. Um, so naturally, as you grow, you need to take on an entrepreneur and a manager. So a manager might just be overseeing the whole business um, and making sure the day to day um, is moving in the right direction, whereas an entrepreneur might be more sort of your business development and um, looking at where they can take the business and find these new leads. And if you're doing all of this by yourself, um, it's so easy just to get overwhelmed and um, either neglect your clients or just think, oh, where's the next money coming from, you know, feast or famine sort of thing. So um, the book basically says you need a mix of all of these. It's great to be a technician. It's great to be good at what you do. But you also need to consider that you're running a business. You're not just, you know, it's not just a hobby. And we're not all great at that. I mean, what part of freelancing do you consider yourself either to dislike the most or to be the least good at? <laughs> I'll put diplomatically. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> I'm going to put myself out of work here, but... I said to Craig just recently, when this is something we were looking at sort of streamlining possibly with um, a tool, um, I'm quite happy to chat to a new lead, have that sort of exploratory call and da, 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 da. But then it's, okay, right, well, I'll write up a proposal for you and then, you know, see if we can come to an agreement. And it's just getting to that stage of actually writing up the proposal and looking exactly what they need and trying to process it up. Blah, 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 blah. And, you know, by the time you're finished, half a day is gone. And if you are having, four, you know, like I say, the floodgates are opening um, and suddenly loads of leads are coming in, you could spend a week just doing that. And then you're not doing your technician stuff. You're not working your existing clients. So I wouldn't say I'm bad at it, but if there was some way I could automate it, but still in a nice, friendly way, um, that would be amazing. <laughs> and how much time do you spend on your own business? I mean, actually, kind of whether it's planned. I, I don't mean when I say spending on your own business, I don't mean the... Mm. Uh, elements such as you know creating the quotes and um, invoicing etc but in terms of actually your own marketing or your own planning for the next stage how frequently and how much do you spend yourself well this is um, again one of the things that came up in the AGM we were actually we sort of um, built out kind of um, a company a hierarchy of hypothetical people you know we came up with like a structure of sort of 22 people you know this person's in sales and this person's marketing and then we sort of said okay well I do all this and you do all that so you can be that color and I'll be that color um, I, I think there were 22 roles and we both had 11 each and I was like well hang on I do way more than you so it was like, okay, let's apply a percentage to this. How much time are we spending on this? And I think it came out as about 35, 40% of the time spent marketing the business, which sounds quite high now. 
so perhaps it was less. Um, but I haven't got my notes in front of me. <laughs> that's all right. Don't worry. Yeah. But it, um, but sorry. That's incredible. No, I was going to say that. I mean, that it's because again, I, I I'm going to make an, an entire assumption here. But how many freelancers know how much they spend on their own business each week mm -hmm. and or month? And um, how effective that time is too, and you know, presenting yeah. it, analysing it, and having it presented in a way that's easy for us to digest is must be incredibly powerful. It must. I mean, I know you've only had that meeting recently, and you're in the early mm -hmm. stages of of using that data and creating it, but that must yeah. fill you with a, an understanding that this is going to be quite powerful, surely. Absolutely, yeah. It's just all about visibility. Um, again, because you are a technician, you're so bogged down in working on the client stuff as you rightly should be, um, you might not be considering how much time you're spending on X, Y, Z or how much value you're getting from it. Um, so to actually have it all out there in front of you is really quite eye-opening um, and can help you, again, plan for the future. Talking of planning, what are your big goals for the Ranger this year? Right, right, where are we now? May, May, May. Um, I mean, any big events or... Um... Should I reveal? I've got a big surprise and I keep using it on LinkedIn and I'm like, should I do it in a video? You don't have to. Or... We, can, we can say no and not reveal. I'm not going to force you into revealing anything you don't want to. I'm having a baby! I'm not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think if I have a baby this year, I'd probably know about it by now. I think um, it's a good chance. Yeah. <laughs> um, hold on to your hats, people, because in September... Craig and I are going to be in front of a live audience with real people in a real room, not behind a screen, uh, talking at Brighton SEO. Wow. How did Yay! that come about? Um, we uh, did the Digital City Festival um, back in March. We filmed it in March. It went live in April. Um, but uh, we just um, decided we wanted to branch out a little. Obviously, I love writing, doing the content writing, but... Uh, but we try and do um, a bit of a session. So again, we talk about all this data and stuff. And it was basically sort of a 25 minute presentation. We went down to Media City uh, in Manchester, which is very fun, Coronation Street and all that jazz. Um, went and filmed in there. And then that went onto the Digital City Network. Um, and uh, yeah, we've actually already got, you know, a return on investment from that already. And we realized we quite enjoyed doing it. And if we can do it to some cameras, hell, why can't we do it in front of a live audience? Might be a bit scarier, but uh, I love Brighton SEO as well. I've only been once, but it was great. So, you know, 100% of the times I've been, it's been amazing. <laughs> I, I've not yet been. Oh my God, I've only been once, so don't feel bad. Okay, I, I might go this year then. Yeah, you should, I'll be there. <laughs> Oh well, that's. I mean, that's going to be a great opportunity. But any uh, and uh, and good luck with that. And and it does seem that you know you've been, uh, uh, you know, you're kind of definitely making a lot more noise and doing some really good stuff this year. And, and long may that continue. But any other big goals that you've got professionally? Where would you like your business to be when we, you know, get to the end of the year? Uh, sounds a bit icky to talk about it in money terms but um we should be going back registered this year so um that's nice that'll make us feel like grown-ups but um other than that um a bit of a um a sexier goal I think. um i mean that's an important goal in itself because it's it attributed goal, to, yeah. it's attributed um, to income it's do you know what? just sort of diversifying a little um last year was so predominantly focused on me just writing this 
write for to do campaign just writing a blog each week which is absolutely fine but now I just um again the pandemic has opened my eyes to all these different things like podcasts and events and things so um we'd really like to be sort of quite influential um and and go to events and do more live speaking and just oh, see some humans that would be great um yeah just get our face out there go to my awards dues maybe just uh, live the glam life Excellent. Well, uh, thank you for that. I think it's, you know, just the, the sheer understanding of how of how data doesn't have to be so complex as we mm. maybe put in our own mind and just yeah. understanding how some of the just just some of even the basic level of, of data yeah. can can really help us kind of move our, our freelance business on. So it's been very insightful. Thank you for sharing your experiences. Thank you, and good luck for Freelance Heroes Day. Thank you, Katie, there. And, of course, Katie's talking about the data that works to help her make the right decisions for her business. Not that you should employ all of these for yours, but what is not in doubt is that we need to know what makes us efficient and what doesn't, which clients add the most value, which don't, uh, to help us continue to enjoy our freelancing career and also make it as profitable and as efficient as it can be. So you had some ideas of the matrix that worked for Katie. What matrices work for you? What other forms of data do you look for? How do you know beyond your PL and balance sheet what works for your freelance business? And how do you look for the right data to help you in the planning stages too? I love to read all of this. So do please email me podcast at freelance-heroes.com to let me know uh, and to share your stories too. Uh, and I'll read them out in, uh, in a future episode. Next week, we meet another freelancer who started their journey in 2021. Uh, so until then, uh, have a great week. Bye for now. 